Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville continues his blanket hold on confirmations of military flag officers in protest of Pentagon abortion travel policy. Now, the effects of that block are starting to trickle down through the ranks. The Secure Families Initiative, an advocacy group for military families, delivered a petition Monday to Tuberville and other Senate leaders urging the block to end. Federal News Network's Alexandra Lohr spoke with the group's executive director, Sarah Strider. We're very plugged in with networks of other military partners and loved ones, and we noticed that this was an issue that seemed to be getting on everyone's radar. You know, no matter your branch, no matter your political affiliation, uh, even folks who are not traditionally very activisty, we saw a lot of activity uh, that folks were distressed by what was happening. And so what we wanted to do was help represent that kind of collective voice that we were seeing in our personal networks and channel it uh, in a way that felt productive. So a few weeks ago, we threw together some language that felt representative of the sentiments that we were seeing online. We published and circulated the petition, and sure enough, we've gotten over 550 signatures, all from family members of actively serving folks in uniform. So tell me a little bit about the specific issues that concern military family members yeah, you can think of the impact as there being three levels. So the first level are the around 281 military families who are stuck in limbo right now. Until their service members' promotion clears, they're having to make impossible choices about whether or not to move ahead of time uh, and hope that they get reimbursed for out-of-pocket expenses or whether to stay and wait, uh, but delay a spouse's ability to find the next job or their kid's ability to plug in with the next school. Um, they're obviously the folks most directly negatively impacted. Then there's that second level of folks who are stuck in their jobs because there's no backfill left or they're unable to advance to the next job because someone's still taking up space. And then there's folks who are in these units where the leadership is undermined, and that does a lot to harm morale. But the final level is that this issue affects every single one of us with a loved one in uniform because it's politicizing an institution that we rely on for our safety. Um, if we're going to trust that our senators are going to have our back and do what's right over more consequential decisions over life and death, we're not given a lot of confidence that that can work when something that should be basic and nonpartisan can't even go through. You know, to an outsider, it might seem as though um, this is an issue for completely upper-ranked officers, and they may not understand how this is an issue for people at a lower rank whose promotions aren't confirmed by Senate. Sure. I mean, I'm we're an enlisted family myself, so I'm not speaking because uh, we have a direct promotion uh, out of the balance, but we are still affected because we serve in units that are whose leaders uh, this impacts. And so, you know, to use an analogy that we thought might resonate with the senator in question, it's like taking a football coach out of the biggest game of the year halfway through and not and expecting that to not affect the players on the field. It, of course, affects every single service member from the lowest enlisted to the highest ranked because they don't have con confirmed uh, leadership. And so is that actually holding up moves all the way down through the ranks? 
we're in touch with a number of families who are affected, including the 281 who are kind of stalled in their moves. And like I said earlier, um, there's even some some high ranks who have had delay retirement by almost a year uh, because they've been asked. I think it was by the Army. This was published. The Army asked at least a dozen uh, generals to stick around for extra time because their backfill wasn't ready. So that's what I was talking about, that level two, that ripple effect. Now, Senator Tuberville says he has a group of veterans who have signed a petition saying they support his hold on the nominations. Are there some military families who also feel that this hold on the nominations is making a point that's important to them? So first of all, I disagree with the oversimplification of the policy of disagreement that's underlying all of this. This isn't a pro-life or a pro-choice debate. The DOD policy is a travel and leave policy uh, out of recognition of the fact that service members don't get to choose where they live. And DOD is trying to make sure that folks either in uniform who need it or their immediate dependents can still access reproductive health care, which could be anything from Uh, a DNC under an emergency miscarriage. I mean, this is so much broader than what I think folks want to boil it down to. So I'm happy for the opportunity to clarify that first and foremost, because I think otherwise the temperatures remain high and things remain very partisan and oversimplified. Um, But just to speak to, you know, vying petitions, I don't know who this group of 5,000 veterans are, but what I can say is that as as the family member of someone who's actively still in uniform, What I'm talking about and referring to is our day-to-day present and our day-to-day future. And I think that is an important stake in this uh, situation that's a bit distinct from our veteran colleagues. And so that's why we felt it was important to inject military family voices into the conversation, which is something that we do every day on every issue that we advocate on. Is this something that you actually hear people saying, well, we may not be a military family in the future because this is such an unfriendly environment for us? Yeah. In fact, so yesterday we had a small group of us who were able to deliver the petition in person. Uh, Incidentally, all five DOD branches were represented by a military spouse or a veteran in that group. And some of the folks in that group have military kids of their own who are turning 18. And despite having lived a life of service where you may have assumed they would want to follow in their parents' footsteps, some of them are seriously reconsidering that choice because it seems like it's a too risky of a choice to put their career on a line if things are continued to remain this politicized. And this speaks to this situation, but there's obviously a broader ecosystem of politicizing the military that we've seen over the last few years. So it's all contributing. What would you like to see Senate do in terms of a solution to this problem? So what we are asking to happen is for Senator Tuberville to stop the blockages on military promotions. And if he still wants to hash out his policy disagreement with the Department of Defense to do so through normal legislative channels, I believe there's already been a bill introduced by Senator Hassan, I think, that would codify this DOD policy. And so that is the appropriate mechanism by which Senator Tuberville and any other senators uh, could express their disagreement with the policy and lobby hard against it if that's what they wish. So Our goal is to kind of get past the military promotion blockages, release the almost 300 military families affected from this limbo, and then we can have the next debate next week on something like this. Sarah Strider is executive director of Secure Families Initiative. Speaking there with Federal News Network's Alexandra Lohr. Check out Alex's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. 
Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role, even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And I I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, And I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. 
as CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that. We rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right. When I'm standing there and I feel this, and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast a vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, d- d- describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader, because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. it's, It's needed uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you, you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest. Here's the truth. Yes. And it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm I'm gonna have to elaborate on two. Yeah. If that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, Integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I, I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part, 
Okay, I, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.